Well, good morning. I love Fall Fest because I love to watch these kids get all dressed up. I've already seen a dinosaur in the building, uh, little uh, Riggins, the, Jared's uh, little boy. He's in the office complex in his dinosaur output. He's, he's adorable. So I hope you'll come tonight. You know, just, just come and attend and enjoy and have a good time. Uh, and if you'd like to volunteer, please get yourself a good red t-shirt. We, that way we'll be able to know who's, who's in charge. You can be in charge tonight. Uh, which means you get to do all the work. Okay, so um, I want you to turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is our second installment in a series that we're calling David, a man after God's own heart. Now, what's important about this series is as you walk through the life of David, you gotta understand that the tagline of his life was he was a man after God's own heart. How in the world can that be? I mean, God does not... Uh, he does not cover up the fact that David was a flawed man. He was an adulterer. He, he was a murderer. He was not a particularly good father. So why is he so recognized? What makes him a man after God's own heart? Actually, in Acts chapter 13, this is in the New Testament, that tag is still what is put on David, uh, a man after God's own heart. So today we're going to look and see at in the life of David, how was that true in this particular circumstance? This is probably one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. That is 1 Samuel 17. David and, surely you know. Thank you, Ryan knows. David and, seriously, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. I mean, David's life in this, on this day was changed forever. David and Goliath uh, is sort of a metaphor for, I mean, Goliath is like trouble. David was, I mean, Goliath was evil. Goliath was bigger than life. No one knew what to do to defeat the adversary that Goliath was. Now, I don't know what your trouble is today. I don't know, it may not be Goliath, but maybe your trouble today is the fact that you're dealing with something that makes you very afraid. You feel like you're moving into despair. It could be a financial crisis, a betrayal of a family member, a friend, or a loved one. Maybe it's a sickness that is just, you've just been diagnosed with something and it, it just seems too big to handle. Uh, sometimes our Goliath is our own history, our own failure, our, our own struggles. Trouble can come in so many different ways. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography or anger or despair. I mean, how are you gonna respond to the trouble in your life? Well, David gives us an example of how to respond to trouble. 1 Samuel 17 is an epic battle. We have two armies on two different hillsides. A few years ago, I got to go with our group from High Street, and I, I actually walked in that valley. It was incredible. So you had the Philistines on one side, and you had the Israelites in the other side. These mighty men all dressed up, uh, and they're ready to fight. And there is this one champion of the Philistines named Goliath. And Goliath comes forward with this proposal. All right? You get your champion, and whoever that is, let him come and fight me. If he kills me, we will all be your servants. 
But if I kill him, then you will all be our servants. And then he goes on with a little bit of trash talk. I mean, a lot of trash talk in the Bible, actually. This is what Goliath has to say. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that he may fight, that we may fight together. Then when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then in this particular text, it says that Goliath makes an appearance morning and night for 40 days in a row. For 40 days in a row, he taunts them. He challenges them. I mean, he's feeling pretty good about himself in his wildest imaginations. He doesn't believe they will ever come up with a champion on their side that could even have a chance of defeating him. They were frozen in fear and feeling helpless. And I'm gonna tell you this, your trouble will freeze you in fear and make you feel helpless. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever felt afraid? Confronted with a giant in your life? I mean, the giants come by all many different names. But you just don't feel like there's any hope, there's any possibility of you getting past this. Now the problem was, in the army of Israel, there was no one who had enough courage to take on the giant. There was actually no one willing to even try. And for 40 days, they were terrorized. Even the king stayed in his tent. He had no plan, no strategic meeting. I mean, the king doesn't know what to do. And for 40 days, his humiliation grows day by day. Now make no mistake, this guy, Goliath, he was a frightening dude. I mean, he was a man who from his youth had been all about war. I mean, he was so frightening because, first of all, the guy was enormous. You know, he had put his reps in when it came to battles. Every year, he fought more battles, increased his experience and his skill, year after year after year. He was a killing machine. He was proud and arrogant. He had a hard heart. It meant nothing to him to snatch the life away from some of his opponents. In this chapter, it actually gives us the details about why Goliath was so scary. He, it was, it, he was nine foot, feet tall. Somewhere around nine feet, maybe a little bit even larger. Now when you think of people that are tall, I don't know who you think of. I mean, I, I got to go watch a Lakers game before the pandemic broke out, and I got to see LeBron James on the court in action. LeBron James is six foot and nine feet tall. He's also a monster. This guy has so many reps in basketball, you can tell when LeBron steps onto the court, he's the guy in charge. He doesn't say a word, he just has the look. And he's incredible to watch. But you know, LeBron James isn't nearly nine foot tall. 
He's not even among the tallest of the NBA stars throughout the years. Michael Jordan was six foot six. Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot one. Um, I remember going to an NBA game in Houston and I got to see Yao Ming, who is seven foot six inches tall. That dude is tall. Now, not only was his size and his experience impressive, but he had the state-of-the-art equipment when it came to warfare. And it describes it in this passage. He wore a bronze helmet. He wore a coat of mail. A coat of mail is like this armor. It's like body armor made of, of chain and metal plates. His, his coat of mail, his body armor itself, all alone, weighed 125 pounds. Some of you don't even weigh 125 pounds. It's like carrying you around the battlefield. But he was so big, so enormous, so strong, it was nothing to him. He had leg armor. He had a javelin over his shoulder that is described as as long as a weaver's beam. And the, the um, spearhead weighed 15 pounds. I mean, this spearhead was not to throw. This was to kill. And that's what he did. And and. He was, he was the strongest, meanest, most experienced killer on the field, and no one wanted to take him on. You know, at this point, the fact that Saul was one of the tallest men in Israel became his liability. No wonder, no, no, uh, not only was he the leader and the king, he was also the one close, closest matched to Goliath as far as height, but he, he, he did nothing. He was frozen in fear. Now, I just wanna tell you that the Bible says that you and I are in a battle with an adversary much bigger and stronger than Goliath. It is Satan himself. Jesus says in John 10, 10, he calls him the thief. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Did you know that the devil is out to dominate your life? He is out to make you obey him. He wants to dominate you, your children, your future, your grandchildren. He wants you to live under his control. And his, his point is just whatever makes God uh, takes away what God loves you, he loves people, and the more he can defeat human beings and steal our goodness, he steals the glory of God himself. You're in a battle, I'm in a battle. This is an awful story, except we finally get to verse 12, and what happens in verse 12 is a man of a different sort enters the camp, his name is David. David has no idea that this is the day that will change his life forever. David does not come in an effort to become the champion or to make a name for himself. Actually, David has been sent by his father to deliver bread and cheese to his three older brothers. David's the pizza delivery guy. That's what's going on here. He walks into the camp, has no idea what's going on. He watches as the, the armies assemble and the shouts are yelled, and then Goliath marches to the front of the crowd and he makes his boast. And then he sees what all 
of the soldiers of Israel do in 1 Samuel 17, 24 to 25. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his own daughters for a wife, and, and, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I mean, Saul is so desperate. This is what he's done now. What, what an incentive program. The man who will even try, if you could kill Goliath, then this, this is what the king says. I promise you all kinds of rewards. I even promise you one of my daughters. And your entire family is going to be exempt from taxes. I mean, the man that would do this would change his life forever. He would instantly become royalty. Uh, his family at this point, any, anybody whose family had a guy tall enough to even try, they're like, come on, go ahead. You, you could change all of our lives. Would you all like to not have taxes for the rest of your life? How many of you would like that deal? In spite of the incentive that was offered by the king, nobody tried. But now David enters. And number two, David sees not the natural, but he sees with eyes of faith. He sees with eyes of faith. I have an experiment for you today. Today is Family Sunday, and we're likely to have a bunch of kids in the room next service, more than I see now. In fact, I don't see any kids. Um, I think David and Goliath is the perfect story for a family day. As a kid growing up, this was one of my favorite stories. David sees like nobody else. Now, here's, here's what I want you to do, okay? Um, just pretend you're 10 years old. Will you do that? All right. I want you to close one eye. Come on. This is not hard. Just close one eye. And I want you to take your finger, and I want you to put, put your finger right smack on top of your eyeball, okay? Now, all of a sudden, if you're doing this correctly, and some of you aren't because I'm peeking, um, what you see pretty much is just your finger. You don't see much of anything anymore. Now, here's something you could do. You could take that finger and you could pull it away from your eye and stretch it out at arm's length. Now, all of a sudden, your perspective changes. There's a finger there, but I still see everybody in the frame. Everybody in Israel was looking like this, and then David came in, and he looks like this, and he, said, he, he has a whole different point of view. David remembers that they are the chosen people of God. He remembers that they occupy a, 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 a covenant uh, role. I mean, the promise of God to the people of God was so, um, so amazing he remembers their history and what God has done for them. I mean, he delivered them from the power of the Egyptian Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, but these people, they don't remember. They don't remember the story of Gideon. Gideon had 10,000 soldiers one day to come to his, his army so that he could defeat the enemy. And God said, Gideon, you got way too many men. Send the, all of those who are afraid home. Well, then thousands of them left. And God says to Gideon, hey, you still got too many men. What I want you to do is take them down to the river and I want you to have them all take a drink. So they all go down to the river and they take a drink. He says, now, select only the men who put their hands in the water and they drank, they cupped their hand and they lapped up the water. The guys that just bent over and put their face in the water, they're out. 
And, and Gideon's like, okay. He starts to count. Only 300 men. Are you kidding me, God? We're going to do this battle? I mean, the number of the enemy is described as as many as the sands of the sea. And God had a point that he was making. He was saying, Gideon, I want you and everyone in your country, all of your people from now until forever, to remember that God does not save by the many. He can save by the few. Your courage is not in the size of your army. It should be in the presence of your God. David remembers this. Verse 26, David answered the soldier standing nearby. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Do you see David's perspective? He's taken Goliath from here and he's put him away out there and he's saying, what I remember today is our God is powerful and able and throughout our history, he has come through against all odds. When God's on your side, you're gonna be okay. David, David's courage comes from seeing God in the picture. His brothers respond with ridicule. Verse 27. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Now notice that Eliab, his older brother, is angry. I mean, you talk about having a bad attitude toward his baby brother. I mean, he's angry that David is even there. He's angry that David is demonstrating courage that nobody else has. He's angry. And then he moves to ridicule, and he says, hey, by the way, who's taking care of those few little sheep that that's what you're in charge of? That's all you're good for. Have you ever had anybody talk to you like that? His brother judges his motives. He says, I know you're here because of pride and deceit. The truth is, David was there because he was following the instructions of his father. He was delivering pizza. People say mean things to you in your life, don't they? You ever had somebody say mean things to you? Have you ever had anybody misjudge you or treat you unfairly? You know, it, it's, remember, it's, it's really not what they think that matters. It's what God thinks about you. And you must always hold on to that. Um, it's not how good and powerful you are, but it's the fact that God is present and has a plan and a purpose in your life. And I promise you, people will say mean things. They will demean you and ridicule you, okay? And they will falsely judge you and declare motives that aren't true. Now one thing David didn't do was, he didn't throw down and start throwing punches at his brother. You know what he did? He ignored his brother. And he went on. Remember this. When there's a giant to be slain, don't fight your brothers. Fight the giant. 
Don't get involved in unnecessary battles with your brothers. They're just a distraction. You know, some of you are wasting too much emotional energy and mental focus on the people in your life who are, yeah, they were not nice. Yeah, they said mean things. Yeah, they, they misjudged you. But you're way too exercised about them. That's not even the main show. You, you need to move on. Refuse the distraction. You know, the devil is gonna get you either by the sword of Goliath or maybe by the distractions of your brothers. I heard one person say this, the dogs bark, but the trains keep on rolling. Keep on rolling. Forget the dogs. You don't have to let those distractions take control over you. Some of you need to refuse to be dominated by the words that are spoken of you by siblings and maybe even parents. Words that say things like, you're not special, you're just good for watching a few sheep. Don't you think that you'll ever amount to anything? Don't aspire for very much, because you'll never make it. You can't do it. Sometimes friends and neighbors see you only through the, through the lens of your past mistakes and failures. You got some past mistakes and failures? I mean, did you used to struggle with alcohol? Did, 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 have, are, are you struggling because you're trying to get over a divorce? Or, I mean, what, what's going on in your life? But do not let people declare you a loser when God never sees you that way. When his patience and long-suffering and goodness will not be counseled out by your failures. You don't have to be labeled irresponsible, alcoholic, adulterer. Be careful who you listen to and what you let stick. You need to hear what God has to say about you. Let me just give you a few things God has to say about you. If you are in Christ, this is radical. God no longer sees your imperfections. He no longer sees your sins. He sees the righteousness of his own son who covers you. Um, God says, this is what I know about you. If anyone is in Christ, you've been made new. You're a new creature. The old things have passed away and the new has come. You have been justified. You have been redeemed. You have been sanctified and even glorified. And it's beautiful what God has to say over those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. David refuses the labels and the accusations of his brothers. He refuses to be distracted from, from what's really going on, which is to fight the, the giant. Um, David answers his brother back. He doesn't just let it stand. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. 
You've got to see with the eyes of faith. Number three, you've got to concentrate on God's reputation and power. You've got to concentrate. What's going to get you through life? You? Not just you. You've got to concentrate on God's reputation. God's not going to let you down. God's not going to forget you. God's not going to drop any of the promises he's made to you. Do you know that? Because that God has his own reputation at stake, his holiness, his righteousness. I mean, his eternal magnificence is at stake here. What do you, what do you think? You're going to be the one to break God? No, 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 no. What God has promised he will deliver. You can't let your circumstances cancel out the promises of God. This is still a God who can part the Red Sea, who can bring down the walls of Jericho, who can make the sun stand still or part the Jordan River. The power of God is, and is at work and can be at work in your life. There is no circumstance in your life that will take away the, the, the power of God. God is not surprised by what you're going through. He already knew it was going to happen. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your courage comes from your concentration on God's reputation and power. You will have greater courage when you believe with all of your heart that you are not alone, but that God is with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. But there's this temptation for all of us to read the story, to read Hebrews where it says that, you know, faith is believing in God and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That means you always are observing the fact that God is present. And we think, well, you know, I'm not David. I'm not special. I'm not sure God wants to be involved in my life. That is a lie from the pits of hell. God wants to be involved in your life as much as he was involved in David's life. God's greatest sadness is not that there's too many people to look after, it's that there are, not, there are too many people who will diligently seek him. He is God, infinite in being and power and focus and attention, and he's just waiting for his children to actually believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I promise you, he's here for you. He will move in your life. So David goes to the king because of this perspective. This is, how he, this is what he says. David says to the king, here he's a young guy. I don't know how old he was. Some people say maybe 15 to 17, 18 years old. Okay. He says to the king, nobody else is willing to try. Nobody. His older brothers wouldn't try. 
Saul wasn't willing to go. Saul's just looking for somebody. At this point, I mean, his political um, perception is greatly affected by his inaction, so he wants to do something. So he makes a promise. Anybody who will do it, I'm gonna give you a daughter of mine. You'll become royalty. I, I'm, I'm gonna give you all kinds of rewards. I'll exempt your family from taxes. I mean, he's loading it up. Nobody volunteers, and then David comes, and David says, verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine. <laughs> don't you love that? King, don't worry about this Philistine. I mean, Saul's thinking, are you kidding me, little guy? I have done nothing but worry about him for 40 days. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. I mean, you, you might have thought this was, had solicited a chuckle from Saul and the men around him. But David goes on. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I mean, something about David's youthful faith and the recitation of his history in the presence of God watching sheep and goats caught the attention of the king. This is ridiculous. But nobody else believes like you. The least likely candidate to fight this giant. From a human perspective, when David walks onto the field can you imagine the gasp in the crowd on the side of the Philistines and then on the side of the Israelites? What in the world is going on? A shepherd boy with a staff and a slingshot. Oh my, this will be quick and sad. They've sent a guy on a suicide mission. But David says, you know what? The reason I'm walking out here is I don't plan to die today. Because um, I remember how God helped me against the lion and against the bear. I don't know if any of you would be willing to go chase down a bear that had one of the lambs. I mean, would you? I'm, you know, don't make me admit to you in 
Now, how that freaked me out. I mean, there's some dogs I don't want to come close to. You know what I'm saying? David proclaims that he gave 100% of what he had as a shepherd and he went after the lion and the bear and he doesn't take credit, he gives God glory and he says, you know, the Lord rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear and here's our only hope. Our only hope is that God will rescue me again today from, from this Philistine. Now there are two errors that you and I make. One is we, we think that trusting in God means that we do nothing and we wait for God. Okay, have you ever done that? Hey, what, what are you doing? I'm praying about it. That sound, that's a real spiritual thing to say to people in church, by the way. What, what are you doing? I'm praying about it. What are you doing? I'm, nothing. Praying about it. One error is that we expect that God's going to do it all. And the other error is we expect we've got to do everything by ourselves. But David demonstrates that this is how it works. It 100% depends on your effort. You gotta like start running after that bear. And it 100% depends on God's effort. And Saul says, okay, for some strange reason, I think this is an idea I should bless. So go, David. God be with you. And I think he was really praying. The king was. Oh God, please be with him. David would later write Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices and my song will praise him. Wow. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, you've got to let God be your strength and your shield and you've got to trust him. And then you've got to give it all you have. Number four, remember the right things. I want to make this one quick. Remember the right things. You know, some people like to bring up our past and even sometimes we are our own worst critics. Well, I don't know, I failed before. Maybe I'll, I'll probably fail again. I mean, this, this habit is, is too, I've, I've never succeeded. I don't know if I'm ever gonna succeed in breaking this habit, overcoming this thing. Or I'm not sure I'll ever be a good mom or a good dad. Or I, I don't know if I can succeed in business. Or man, I'm, I'm not so sure that I could be a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher or leader or I'm not sure I could have a conversation about Jesus with my friends. I want them to be saved, but I'm, I'm just not sure I could ever do that. And, and we, we have to refuse these self-defeating, self-talk speeches. We have to refuse to remember our past failures because one of the most beautiful things about walking with God is that he doesn't remember our sins. He doesn't label us. 
with our past sins. Psalm 103, verses 10 to 14, talks about how he, he, he doesn't remember our sins anymore. He separates them from as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Hebrews 8.12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. This is a great God. God says, remember my power. Remember what I've done for you in the past. I don't remember your sins. I'm not talking about that. Um, you know, it's interesting too that David immediately when Saul is getting ready to dispatch him says, now wait a second, David, here I want to, here you put on my armor, you put on my, my bronze helmet, my coat of mail, and you strap my sword on. And so David did, and he took a couple steps, and he, he just couldn't make it work. He's like, man, that's not me. This is, I've never tried this. There's no way I can run out there. I'm a shepherd boy. So he, he protested and said, King, I, I can't wear this. You know, we have a tendency to think that if only we were somebody else, we could succeed better than we can succeed. Did you know God made you at this time exactly the way you are? We keep trying to be somebody else, and it won't work for us. You will always be a better you than you will be a better them. David says, honestly, the truth is, King, I'm a shepherd boy. So he goes and he picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch, has his slingshot ready, and he has his shepherd's staff, and he goes into battle as David, the shepherd boy with the power of God. Lastly, it's you got to go now because the battle is the Lord's. I want everybody to say the battle is the Lord's with me. Come, I just want you to practice that. What, what is your giant right now? Can you think, think of your trouble? What's your trouble? What's your struggle? Where's your doubt and fear and despair coming from? Now I want you to just say these words. The battle is the Lord's. Here we go. The battle is the Lord's. You know what? I don't know if that would have got you all the way. Let's try it again. The battle is the Lord's. So 100% of David the shepherd boy with a staff and five smooth stones, he walks out into the field. Here we go. Don't know what's going to happen. I'm no match for the Philistine, but the battle is the Lord's, and that's why I'm going. Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield uh, bare ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your 
flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. But David then, encouraged, talks back to the giant and says, David replied, you come to me with sword, spear, and a javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and I will give the the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. The battle is the Lord's. 